you walk into a room and you see a pencil balanced on its tip. <laughs> yeah. You would say that one explanation for that is that I had just balanced it on its tip the instant before you walked in. And if I told you it's been balanced there for 14 billion years, <laughs> you would say, forget it. I do not believe you. I need a better explanation than that. I'd say you're in the same office in 14 billion years. You haven't had a promotion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, well, actually, I can believe Welcome to What The If. This is a game show where the universe is our plaything. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, that's right. We, we take the adjustable knobs on the universe and set them to our liking. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I'm just going to jump right in here. This week, we have an if that's been submitted. by one of our super ifers. In fact, he's sent in a number of excellent ideas of such high quality. And he's been a, a supporter for a long time. He, I think he's probably approaching, uh, he might be the first four-star super ifer. Wow. Like a general. General, yeah, we'll have to think about that. Is there something above super ifer? Hyper ifer? Uh <laughs> Well, that sounds like he's had a lot of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Which I would imagine a lot of our listeners have. Yeah. You know? His name is Bill Prokopchuk from Winchester, Virginia. He has an awesome idea, which I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to read the email. And again, all of you in the audience are welcome to submit ideas. You can go to our website, whattheif.com and click contact or find us on various social media. Bill will be receiving a fabulous finger puppet. I should hope so. Yeah. In gratitude of a science scientist or science fiction character from the Unemployed Philosophers Guild for this amazing if submission. Bill writes, Subject, how long is an inflationary second. Message. Philip and Matt, I can't figure out how to make this a what the if, so I, <laughs> so I will leave that up to you. Cosmologists tell us that during the period of inflation, immediately after the Big Bang, by the way, the Big Bang is in all caps, as it should oh, yeah. be. Right, exactly, because you got to get the sound effect. That's Big <laughs> Bang! <laughs> Cosmologists tell us that during the period of inflation, immediately after the Big Bang, the universe expanded at a phenomenal rate, which is also the rate that I, some of these credit card offers I get in the mail are. <laughs> Something like 10 to the minus 36 seconds, which is extremely small. That's a one followed by 36 zeros. Is that right? If it's minus 36, that's right. 0 0.0 36 zeros. One. Something in, in that length of time, mm -hmm. the entire 
inflationary period, which we'll we'll get into in a minute. What does exactly does that mean? But the universe became the size that it is now. Well, sort of the scale that it is today. The scale right. that it is today. Bill continues, what's more, nuclear fusion began when the universe was a mere 0.01 seconds old. That's one one hundredth of a second. Nuclear fusion began one one hundredth of a second. Here are my questions, says Bill. How long was one second when the universe was an infant? We know that space, time, and gravity are related. Now, Bill, I'm guessing, already knew that. But some of you may have learned that from our show. We've had a number of episodes, including, I believe, our preceding episode. So, space, time, and gravity are related, he says. Was an inflationary period... Now, those of you who are thinking, what the... I'm lost. Hang with it. This show is all about... If you're starting to say, you know, this is not a game. When it's not a game anymore, it's too much. It's too much for my podcasting years. Just hang with us. It's going to be fun. You know what it is? I'm going to read, I may read this again or a portion of this at the end, and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, sure. Here are my questions, says Bill. How long was one second when the universe was an infant? We know that space, time, and gravity are related. Was an inflationary period second one second for a hypothetical observer inside the universe moving at these incredible speeds and densities? So, first of all, what the if you were an observer, meaning you were there. Yeah, we're hanging out. Inside the first moments of the Big Bang expanding. Mm-hmm. Bill continues, was an inflationary period second a second for an observer outside the universe looking in? What? What the if? You were FaceTiming or Skyping, or whatever, you were, you were having a video conference with someone outside the universe looking in at you. Exactly or approximately. <laughs> I like that. Exactly or approximately. That's, that's physics talk right there. Uh, how long was a second at the birth of the universe compared to a plain old ordinary second that we know right now? Finally, Bill says, I realize that the cosmological math is mind-bonding, mind bendingly complex, but dot, 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 Bill, Winchester, Virginia. Woo, Matt. Honestly, I read that whole thing, and um, it's a lot of pixels on a white screen to me. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah. So I'm, so, so we should probably talk about what inflation is first, right? I am a mere finger puppet. I just want to point that out. So uh, our universe is expanding, right? And this has been uh, known for, well, about our lifetimes, I guess. Sort of since the discovery of the cosmic microwave background radiation. I learned it from the Woody Allen movie, Annie Hall. Yep, that's a classic. Which young Alvy, Woody -hmm. Woody Allen as a child, is that character, is terrified, having anxiety because the universe is expanding. And his mother <laughs> exclaims, after the doctor explains something, <laughs> uh, you know, it won't happen, the end of the universe won't happen for a very long time, Alvy. And his mother says, Brooklyn is not expanding. <laughs> Go do your homework, as I recall. Yeah. 
Yeah, so when we say the universe is expanding, what, what we mean specifically is that all the galaxies out there are rushing away from each other at great speeds. So if you live in Brooklyn, or even New Jersey, oh. you will not see that expansion, right? No matter how long you wait, you're not going to see it happen. So we call this the cosmological expansion because it's something you can only see on these titanic scales between galaxies, right? tens of millions of light years before you can see it. But nonetheless, you can see it through the telescopes. And one of the games that you do as a cosmologist is you watch how fast those galaxies are zooming away from each other. And then you write down an equation to describe that motion. And then you run that equation backwards. So you imagine what was the universe like when the galaxies were closer together? They're all, run they're all running away from each other, which means that let's go back in time. Well, they must have all been close to each other. Close together, right? Right. This is where, so the, the, where the idea of the Big Bang comes from is taking that to the extreme. So we say, well, what happens when it's not just the galaxies were close together, but they were actually mashed together? Ooh. What was that? What was that very early stage when everything was crammed together? The mashed potato phase of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first, first there was mashed potato, then there was the Big Bang. So uh, the, the sort of colloquial term Big Bang um, is what uh, we use to describe that very early state of the universe when everything was packed together because everything must have been very hot and we can kind of think of it as an explosion. So... Um, so if you if you catch a cosmologist in a cranky mood, they'll say, no, there wasn't a big bang. It was just that the early state of the universe was dense and hot. OK, and in space, no one can hear you bang. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I put that out there for to, to head off any angry emails from cranky cosmologists because uh, they haven't had their coffee yet uh, over on the West Coast. Right. That's right. <laughs> So you said so by late '60s, early '70s, this this general model of the universe is well accepted, right? Now the scientists accept that the the early state of the universe was hot and dense, and that's an interesting thing to study. Uh, so you sit down with your equations and you sort of investigate what the properties of the universe then must have been, and then you try to figure out if there's anything that you could see today that would give you some information about the early universe. Nowadays, we think of the Big Bang, so we go all the way back to thinking about, okay, well, so there was a, uh, which everything, like a single point that blew up. Okay. Right. So this is an important distinction, is that there was no single point. Okay. Oh. Um, but rather, the, because in relativity, there's no center to anything, right? There's no center to the universe. Rather, the right way to think about it is everything was close together. Which is a little bit into the Big Bang, right? Which is a little bit different. So when we say the galaxies are all rushing away from each other, the universe is expanding, right. our intuition says that means there must be a center from which everything is expanding. Right. But and, that's not right. And that Rather, we are expanding into something. Right. right. But instead, it's every galaxy is receding away from every other galaxy. Everything is zooming away from everything else. So no matter where you're sitting in the universe, everything still looks like it's racing away from you. 
So we can say this. It sounds like basically what we're talking about is that the universe was always the size of the universe. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's it, really counterintuitive, right? <laughs> so when it was very, let's go back to a time when it was like very small, but not like mind, not mind-bendingly small. That was the universe. And as far as anyone inside it at that point would have noticed, the galaxies are close together, but they're not crazy close. It's just a lot closer than now. It would have been, sounds like it would have been a lot brighter, maybe, if the stars were all Um Yeah, it's, that's gets complicated. But. Right. But basically, this is the universe, and no one would think it should be any bigger. So the, the metaphor that's often used here is if we're baking uh, raisin bread. So when you let the, the dough for raisin bread rise, there's raisins embedded in it. And the dough is getting bigger. So the raisins are our galaxy, or all the galaxies. So if you're sitting on one of the raisins, you will see all the raisins receding from you as the dough rises. So you might make the mistake of thinking that you, as that raisin, are the center of the loaf because you see everything going away from you. But in fact, no matter which raisin you're on, you'll see all the other raisins getting away, racing away from you. Now, for those of out there who, perhaps like me, I've heard this metaphor before, the raisin loaf, and I'm like, it's just for some reason, I don't eat raisin loaf. It also could be like, I guess I could imagine a sponge. Mm -hmm. Let's say the sponge is dry and very small, and in it are, you know, dark, Flecks of individual pores, yeah, <laughs> or or yo, or I was even thinking just flecks of dust, mm -hmm. um, dirt, 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 whatever, little pieces of dirt, all kind of spread evenly throughout the sponge. When as you as the sponge becomes moist and expands, every all those bits of dust find themselves going further and further and further away from each other. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And that's not easy. I want to stress that this. If you're having trouble visualizing this, that's okay. Uh, because that's not how we experience the universe generally. Although I would say that you, you the, the, the point is, in fact, this is what Bill said, Bill imagines. What if you were inside all of this happening? What what is confusing to us is that as we talk about the raisin loaf or the sponge or whatever, we imagine ourselves looking down on this thing or this thing being in our hand or something like that. That is an observer totally outside the whole thing, which we don't even know. Which is not really a thing, yeah. Um, so you can only compare the view from one raisin to the view from another raisin, right? There, there is no cosmological baker in this metaphor. So you have to put yourself inside your preferred metaphor, sponge or cake. Mm -hmm. Yep. Or loaf. And um, that's the point of view to imagine. So I want to stress here, we're not even to inflation yet. Okay. Oh. So we we this, we've just been talking about generic expanding universe theory. Things are still point. cheap, very right. cheap. <laughs> so uh, early '80s, a scientist named Alan Goose, uh, who is, was at MIT, still is at MIT, realizes there's there's a weird problem. Actually, I should say it's, uh, lots of scientists realize there's a problem by this point. He's the one who who figures out a solution to it. So there's there's some weird features of the universe, given that it is expanding. And again, these are things that might not seem particularly alarming to you, um, <laughs> but they are if you're a cosmologist in the 70s. So I'm going to pick one of them, and this is called the horizon problem. And this is a, a special case of what's technically called uh, 
the isotropic nature of the universe. Okay, so you can try, if everybody wants to try saying that at home. Isotropic. 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 Right. It sounds like great vacation spot where there might be a sandals resort or some kind of drink. Frozen. Yeah, you probably wouldn't want to go there for reasons I'm about to, oh. to say. <laughs> so our universe is isotropic. And what that means is whatever direction you look in, it's pretty much the same. Um, and again, your intuition might say, that's not true, right? If I look to my left right now, I see bookshelves. Um, and if I look behind me, I see a window. So you'd say, that's not the case, that no matter what direction I look in, it looks the same. But then the, cause, the cranky cosmologist says, no, we're, we're not talking about human scales. We're not even talking about solar system scales here. We're talking about the entire universe. So on the scale of millions of light years, when you look around, the universe pretty much looks the same. So is this like on the Earth, for instance, we see, we can look up at mountains and say, oh my gosh, you know, I'm way down here in the valley. These mm -hmm. mountains are enormous. But when you look at Earth from the space station, or the moon especially, it looks, let's say, you know, kind of perfectly round, that all the little dimples of the mountains don't even show Yeah, up. that's a good way to think, but that's right. The mountains that look huge from human scales look tiny from solar system scales. And then from galactic scales, entire solar systems look uninteresting. Ah. And then from cosmological scales, individual galaxies look uninteresting. So once you zoom far enough out, the universe looks the same in every direction. Just like a lot of, would look like a lot of stars. Some a lot of stars, right? A lot of galaxies. And most, most importantly, the universe looks pretty much the same temperature in every direction. Ooh. And again, this might not seem especially unsettling, but I swear it is. <laughs> if you take two objects, one is hot and one is not hot. Let's say your coffee cup is hot and your hand is not hot. When you put your hand on the coffee cup, they're different temperatures. But after you wait for a while, the coffee cup will be the same temperature as your hand. Okay. Yep. Yep. So that works backwards too. So if you see two objects that are the same temperature, you can infer that they were in contact or were able to interact with each other at some point. Oh, so they didn't, they didn't get the same temperature by being far apart. Right. That's right. So, and if you see, so when scientists see two things that are the same temperature, they say they must have had some way to interact in order to get to that same temperature. Uh, in other words, that, that even though the universe, we think of it as very old, billions of years old, around 14 billion as, as we think of it now, the fact that everything's the same isn't because what you're saying is, for instance, even in Einstein's time, right, is they, they before the Big Bang was solidified as a, a theory, mm -hmm. they thought of the universe possibly as just as it is now has has always been this size. has always been there. Yeah, that's right. So, I, and I should yeah that it could not it would not be all if it had always been that size it couldn't have evened out the temperature. 
Well, it's kind of the other way. So if the universe had just been sitting and if the universe was not expanding and it was just sitting in its current state for eternity, then it's no surprise that it's the same temperature because there's been lots of time through which the galaxies could exchange energy and come to the same temperature. The problem becomes if you're in an, in an expanding universe, the galaxies are rushing away from each other. So it would be very hard for them to interact with each other in a way to come to the same temperature. So then it becomes a surprise to realize that the galaxies are all pretty much the same temperature. As it expanded, it wouldn't have cooled evenly. Exactly right. So once the galaxies are far apart, they're, they're no longer a hand holding a coffee cup, but the hand has hurled the coffee cup across the room. So your hand isn't going to get any hotter. And it's happened. If, I won't say it hasn't happened before. If you would uh, allow for a, a somewhat macabre example. Yes. Let's say I've got a uh, party full of people in my apartment. And uh, I want to set them all on fire. <laughs> this is a hypothetical, officers. <laughs> I swear it's hypothetical. And, uh, uh, NSA, who's, whoever's listening, hypothetical, yes. If I set just one person on fire... And I say to myself, well, the other people are standing near them, so they'll catch on fire too. And my goal of a completely immolated party will be completed. Fine. Yes. The problem is that as my experience has been, as soon as you set one person on fire, the other people all run away. <laughs> yeah. Right. So they don't catch on fire. So the police watching from the outside are not surprised to see that there's only one person on fire because everybody else has run away. Uh-huh. But if everybody runs out of the party all on fire, the police will say, well, that's quite surprising because you would expect those people to have run away before they caught on fire. Oh, yeah. So the conclusion they might come to and the conclusion that Alan Guth comes to is that maybe everybody was trapped in the party for a while before they could escape. So they were all, so, so the, in, in the universe, then he's saying there were all these things which were all different, different sizes, different amounts of energy and whatever. Everything was packed together for a while early in the universe. Oh, so they all came to the same temperature. Right. And then the expansion happened. So what you need to make this work in cosmological terms is you assume that the universe was very close together for some period of time and then expanded very, very suddenly for a short period of time. And that has given us the universe that we see today. Kind of like it was in a microwave. Yeah, what's, what's a good food that expands in a microwave? Well, hot dogs microwave? blow up real good. Hot dogs, yeah, that could be. <laughs> I discovered <Yeah>. in college. <laughs> <laughs> so... It turns out that if you think that the universe expanded very, very suddenly for a very short period of time, it helps solve this problem of why the universe is all the same temperature, why all of my party guests are on fire. Is it, would it also be fair to say that it's as if it was just one thing? Like, let's say it was a piece of bread. And it yeah, just... we would. That's right. So the technical term would be here to say that the, the whole universe was in causal contact. So thinking it of as one object, I think, is fine. And then there's this sudden moment at which the universe becomes a discrete number of smaller objects, which eventually become galaxies. So like a single thing blew up, 
into pieces. Yeah, I think that's fine. So there's this sort of discontinuity. So that's the idea behind inflation. So inflation on a stress is a subcategory of expanding universe theories. So there's lots of different kinds of expanding universes that might be possible. Mm. And then there's this one or there's then there's this subcategory of versions of the universe that expanded very suddenly. And we call those inflationary universes. So I want to stress the uh, as as Bill pointed out that the uh, in his uh, initial if the the length of time at which or for which this expansion happens is mind bogglingly small. Okay, you only need this to happen for. 10 to the minus 36 seconds. Okay. Imagine a second. All right. And then chop that up into a thousand pieces. We call that a millisecond. All right. That seems like a small period of time. Now chop up that millisecond into another thousand pieces. All right. So now we've got one millionth of a second. <laughs> yeah. Now you need to divide up that millionth of a second into a million more pieces. Whoa. <laughs> and then that into a million more pieces. Wow. And that into a million more pieces. And that into a million more pieces. Wow. That's what 10 to the minus 36 seconds means. Normal things in our world don't really happen that fast, even. Um, there, that's right. There is no, there is no phenomenon you have ever encountered that is remotely close to that time period. Right. There's nothing like that, but here's, but it's, that's not even weird enough in that tiny, tiny period of time, the size of the universe increases. And by size of the universe, I mean, sort of the distance between any two points increases by a factor of 10 to the 23rd. So that's 10 with 23 zeros after it. All right. So, so to do the opposite game now, the size increases. Yeah, by a one followed by twenty-three zeros. So, holds if you hold your fingertips a millimeter apart. Millimeters. I don't know. Probably uh, three or four post-it notes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, about a millimeter. So if that's how far apart you were holding your fingers before inflation occurred, your fingers would be about a trillion miles apart <laughs> after that 10 to the minus 36 seconds. So that's about about a quarter of the way to the nearest star. Whoa. <laughs> in one in 10 to the minus 36 of a seconds. second. That's right. Yeah. Wow. So that's kind of mind-blowing, right? And Bill's specific question is, since both space and time are changing in that tiny interval, what would the, the clock be like? And for complicated reasons, the figuring out how to compare time is really difficult. But the so I think we're going to we should stick with space. That is what. But if we're living at that moment of inflation, what would our experience be like? So I think we should do distances instead. So you've got our fingers, your fingers apart by that millimeter or, or you, you and your best friend. Yeah, that sounds good. 
are sitting on a very close, like on a love seat, one of those little things that mm -hmm. only fits two people. You're very close. And then all of a sudden. And then all of a sudden you are a trillion miles apart. <laughs> And you let's say you've been watching Netflix, right? right. <laughs> you've been you've been binging Jessica Jones season three, which I haven't started yet. So no spoilers, please. <laughs> Netflix and bang. <laughs> you're you're midway through an episode. And all of a sudden you're a trillion miles apart. And you say to yourself, my best friend and I, I should say my best friend is also named Matt, so we can, oh, can run with we used, that. We used to be so close. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we said we're, we were enjoying this episode of Jessica Jones together, and suddenly we're a trillion miles apart. How could it be that we share any knowledge about this episode of Jessica Jones? <sighs> you say that's impossible. You're a trillion miles apart. And then Alan Guth, the inflationary cosmologist, says... It's okay. The reason you could have both been watching that episode of Jessica Jones is because 10 to the minus 36 seconds ago, you were actually very close together. And then this weird space-time bubble appeared that drove you apart. So, But you will always share that memory of watching that episode on Netflix together. Right. Actually, so if you, had, if you, had, if you, you were aware of being very close and then very far apart, it wouldn't surprise you that you both know the same thing. What you're talking about is like if someone looked in and said, oh, I see these two Matts, Matt, a, a Matt and Matt Prime, and they're a trillion miles apart, and I asked both of them what just happened in the last episode of Jessica Jones, and they both had, this, they both had the right answer. Yes. And Einstein right. tells us that there's no way at that far apart they could have received this information at the same mm -hmm. time, things like that. And he says, well, that's because they weren't that far apart. They were closer. Yeah, that's right. So th I should say that's a much gentler example than me setting my party guests on fire. <laughs> and I'm slightly embarrassed that I went right to no, no, the no. mass burning uh, instead of a nice episode. No, of but I actually I actually think that was excellent because that was a, that grabs you. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> Having been to one of my parties, you know that yeah. that's a possible Right. Thing. It was yeah. fantastic. Well, what you mean is you set people afire with knowledge and funk. Uh, yeah, sure. Sure, that's it. It's, yeah. Yeah, and, and the funk. <laughs> <laughs> and then once the inflation has happened, life goes on, right? I can keep watching jessica jones and matt prime can keep watching jessica jones but we can't talk about it anymore we're too far apart now so the tv the the television that you were using the apple tv that you were using survived the splitting in half yeah we'll have to figure out how that right. works but yes right. <laughs> or you you are both watching on an iphone and that's right. Yeah. And it may be that we are the episodes we're watching continue to be the same, but we don't know. We can't talk about it. We only know that we agree about the past seasons of Jessica Jones. And you can't communicate anymore. Exactly. Right. We're too far away and we're zooming apart now at these titanic speeds. So this early phase of the universe, when everybody could Netflix and chill together is gone, right? That's that's the pre-inflationary phase of the universe. And now we're in the post-inflationary phase and we're separate. 
And this, what you're saying is the thing that we all share that's in common is our temperature. That's right. This is, yeah. Which, again, may not seem that unsettling unless you're a cosmologist and you're thinking on these titanic scales. And then you realize that the shared temperature is actually a really exotic and bizarre thing that requires, sorry, that requires explanation, I think, is, is, is the, the important move. Because you might just shrug your shoulders and you say, who cares that the, temp- the universe is all the same temperature? But this is one of the interesting things about science is that sometimes you can't just shrug your shoulders, right? You demand an explanation for why this is the case. Also, it's, it, it is, you can imagine actually just not knowing much about science or anything about science at all and just say um, you learn that you live in a universe that's 14 billion light years, whatever, across. Mm-hmm. And you say, oh, that's interesting. And then you get a telescope that can sort of measure temperature just by pointing it in different parts of the sky. And you discover that it's the same everywhere, exactly the same everywhere to the finite, to, to very, very fine degrees. It's not the finest, but to extremely fine degrees. You would actually think that is a little bit weird. Like you'd think there's something wrong with your telescope, probably. Yes. <laughs> uh, and there's so some things, like I said, some things in the physical world around us demand explanation. And that's the start of science sometimes. But I want to stress that not every, sometimes people don't agree on what requires explanation and what doesn't. So for Darwin, for instance, the fact that in the same place where modern day guinea pigs live, there are fossilized giant guinea pigs demanded explanation. Right. He said, why would that be? Because you could have guinea pigs anywhere in the world. Why is it that they only live in the place where there used to be giant guinea pigs or vice versa? Right. Why are there modern horses? Why do modern horses appear only where there were miniature horses millions of years ago? And for a long time, that does not register to people as something requiring explanation. So Darwin's great genius is to say, this, I need an answer to this. So it's one thing to come up with the answer to the question. It's something else to come up with the weird question in the first place. And and to him, the mist like seeing it is very vivid. I feel like the difference between him there and the person of all the lay people who just thought, well, I don't know, that's weird. Why are you even asking this question? The problem was it wasn't vivid to them. Yep, that's right. It was not visceral in that sense. Um, and I should say it's visceral to Darwin because he's actually tromping around South America and looking at these fossils at the same time he looks at the guinea pigs. And then he says, oh, yeah, this is weird, right? Yeah, you said, oh, totally. Basically, it's also a little bit like recognizing what not only should, wouldn't be a coincidence, but is like insanely improbable. Yeah, that's right. So part of this, part part of what, uh, w- when you decide that something demands an explanation is often a probabilistic thing, right? You say that's so unusual that I demand an explanation for it. Okay. And the, so uh, say one of the other cosmological, so what we've just been talking about with setting party goers on fire and watching Netflix together is an example of what's called the horizon problem. But there's there are other cosmological problems that are analogous. Uh, one of them is called the flatness problem. And the flatness problem, the analogy given for that 
is uh, you walk into a room and you see a pencil balanced on its tip. <laughs> yeah. You would say that one explanation for that is that I had just balanced it on its tip the instant before you walked in. And that's an acceptable explanation because we know that pencils don't stay on their tips for very long. But generally speaking, you would demand an explanation for why it was that the pencil was balanced on its tip. Or even there, you'd say, what are the, you, you, in fact, you would say in normal conversation, what are the odds? Exactly, right. That I would have walked in this room and just at the moment you did that. That's right. And if I told you, no, it's been balanced there for 14 billion years. <laughs> You would say, forget it. I do not believe you. I need a better explanation than that. I'd say you're in the same office in 14 billion years. You haven't had a promotion. Yes. <laughs> say, well, actually, I can believe. That. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this is one of these examples. So inflation, it turns out that there are things in the universe that are analogous to a pencil sitting on its tip for 14 billion years. And that's surprising. Right? right. So inflation also helps solve one of those problems, um, which is how it could be that the universe looks like it's been balancing on the tip of a pencil right. for 14 billion years. Right. So this is why we want things like inflation. The first time I heard about inflation, I thought, oh, yeah, well, the Big Bang, like that is like inflation. I understood it wasn't money. We're talking about like a balloon or whatever. It's just something inflated. What is different about this inflation? He's not just saying, oh, it inflated. Yeah, everybody knows that. There was a big bang. That's what it, that, that is some sort of inflation. But he explained why it inflated, leaving all of these things? Or That's right. So I should say we didn't actually get into the mechanism of inflation at all. We've just been talking about sort of the, the consequences of it, the motivation for it, right? Why, why it might be there. And then the question of exactly what happens during inflation, well, what's the physical process is a whole other thing that we can get into. And perversely is called the Mexican hat problem. <laughs> I swear to God. I can guess what kind of restaurant they That's were right. in. Maybe that can be a follow on if we do. But and I should say, if you want to know more about this, I think you still can't beat Alan Guth's book on this called The Inflationary Universe, which describes the problem that inflation is meant to solve, the mechanism of how it might work, and also is a great, it's written as kind of a memoir. So as an example of how it is that someone thinks about you know, the early universe. What is it? What is it like to do science about the early universe? It's a great example of that, too. So um, I would recommend you go buy a copy of that. And while you're on Amazon, why not buy a copy of Einstein's War? Yes, th that is an excellent book, by the way, yeah. <laughs> by uh, you. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but really, I just finished reading it and it's like, it's amazing. And it just since we're on this for one second. It's it. I wouldn't even have called it a science book or a history book. It's just like a great story in which you learn tons of science and tons of history. And I feel like I kind of got to hang out with all these like amazing people like Einstein and Eddington and their friends and their enemies. Yeah, and their enemies. That's right. They're pretty interesting, too. Very vivid, like a movie. I feel like I watched a movie. So. 
Well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it, it, with Guth, it's funny. I remember one of the things he um, talks about is that when he came, he was scribbling in his journal, writing down ideas that were coming to mind. And when he came up with this idea of how the how inflation worked and explained why the all these strange coincidences about the universe that are what they are, he put a box around it. So he said whenever he came up with interesting ideas, he would draw like a rectangle around it in his notebook. And mm -hmm. this one, he put a double box, two boxes <laughs> around it. And he said, very rare that something gets two boxes. That's how big an idea it was. And even then, he just thought, well, it's, this is going to fall apart, but it didn't. Yeah, this is a, this is a talk. Okay, so Einstein, Einstein's war tells you the story of Einstein. Is inflation, inflation's up there with relativity? Inflation's a subcategory of relativity, but I should say, I mean, Guth gets the Nobel Prize for it, so maybe that counts. Yeah. Now, Bill's initial question now was, what is a second? And so what you're saying is in that moment, we were talking here about fractions of millions of millions of millions of millions of millions of a second in which uh, you and your best friend suddenly found yourselves trillions of <laughs> miles apart. What Bill is sort of saying is what, that somehow those seconds were Really, what he's asking about is time during this crazy minute. Right, and and I hand-waved seconds into meters, time into distance, um, because it's a little easier to conceptualize. Uh, so, uh, sorry about that, Bill. But Right, but as far as what would it be like to be in it, I really have a good feeling now. Like, that would be so strange that... And in fact, if the stars or atoms or galaxies or whatever they were that flew apart had any feelings about the matter... <laughs> it's not just that your best not just that your best friend is instantly although not exactly instantly within you know 10 to the minus 36 seconds suddenly what is it 10 to the 26 10 to the 23rd 10 to the 23rd so trillions of miles away mm -hmm. it's not just that that happened but as far as you're both concerned you're never going to see that person again <laughs> you can't even communicate. So that, that is the essence of the horizon problem, essentially, is that there are galaxies you can never visit. And this is because that whole thing about, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people may, throughout this might have been thinking, well, what about, yeah, that whole thing about light speed, the speed at which those two people went apart <laughs> was <laughs> way faster than the speed of light. That's right. So I should say faster than the speed of light gets to be a complicated term for, for various reasons. But yes, that is the, uh, the the core of it, is that the expansion happens so rapidly, you can never get to see your best friend again. And so the, the, the notion of you can't travel faster than the speed of light, which is why you'll never uh, have contact with that person again, is that as soon as that is done, after that rapid expansion, this uh, rule is is very much in effect. Like you are really that far apart. Yeah, that's right. The um, this episode sponsored by IKEA, expanding love so <laughs> love seats <laughs> and Netflix and Netflix Jessica Jones season three, I guess. Okay, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I've never seen that at all. I don't. Think. Oh, really? Is she a detective? Uh, of a sort. Yeah. She is a super powered detective with um, PTSD, I guess is the best way to say it. <laughs> what is her superpower? I should. Um, well, uh, her superpower, essentially, she's super strong. Um, but that's the least interesting thing about her. I should say, <laughs> if, if you enjoyed any of the Netflix Marvel series like Daredevil and Luke Cage, you should definitely watch Jessica Jones. In particular, season one is a fantastic psychological portrait of sort of what the kind of PTSD you might end up with in a universe with people with superpowers. Oh, that's really interesting. It's really good. I can highly recommend Daredevil, which I, that's also a Netflix thing, right? That's a Marvel Universe thing. It is. Yeah. That is it's, it's, it's totally very similar to Daredevil. So if you like Daredevil, go watch Jessica Jones. Yeah. Daredevil, he's a blind superhero. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Wow. So Bill, as you mentioned, Bill, this remember that Bill's email, the, his if that he submitted, ended with a dot, dot, dot. In fact, it wasn't just three dots. It ends with four dots. Oh, that's a lot of dots. He says, I realize the cosmological math is mind-bendingly complex, but dot, 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 dot. Those dots are expanding, <laughs> as is the amount we could include in this episode. So there is a part two to this out there, which will happen. It's it's It began as one episode, but it just blew up, and suddenly part two is, uh, I won't say it's trillions of miles away. It is perhaps a few episodes in the future. So we're going we're gonna to see that. Bill, thank you for... This ain't blew my mind. Doesn't even be... I don't know. Scrambled? Blue? Uh, inflate, <laughs> my mind inflated. <laughs> and now all the parts of my brain are trillions of miles apart. <laughs> and on fire. <laughs> so kind of like an omelet that blew up and is still smoking and smoldering for this i am grateful <laughs> and you bill prokopchak of winchester virginia will be receiving a wonderful finger puppet that hopefully will stay with you and not fly off onto some other part of the universe put it on your finger and that won't happen it will be a scientist or science i don't you know i don't think they have an alan goose finger puppet but i'll oh uh, they should yeah they really should yeah but we will be a scientist or an awesome science fiction character from uh, our friends, uh, my friends at the Unemployed Philosophers Guild. Their website is philosophersguild.com. Again, this is just a, just as like this is not an ad from them. I'm just just in in uh, they're fans of our show, and uh, we're all fans of you who are listening. And so, in thanking you for just taking listen, if you uh, go to their website, Philosophers Guild philosophersguild.com look at all the stuff and uh, if you find something you want to buy which you will because these are hilarious gifts for you your friends your family all this stuff you can get 10% off uh, if you use the coupon code WTIF as a way of telling them I'm an ifer and maybe you and I you know maybe I can get a little deal for that and you can use the coupon code WTIF also uh, we have another friend Thomas Romer at the Chop Shop store He's a graphic designer, artist, uh, who makes all kinds of wonderful, beautiful art. Also humorous, but, you know, even more towards the, to the elegance side. Uh, posters, uh, all kinds of uh, stickers, all kinds of other things. Top Shop Store. And at his store, you can get 15% off if you use the same coupon code, WTIF. 
next week, I believe it's next week, as these episodes will be posted, we are, and I can announce it now, we are going, we, we have a number of really incredible science fiction writers. Some of whom you may very well have read one or even many of their books. Coming up, and next week is Paul McCauley, science fiction writer. He is going to be on, and we have we have a very special topic that comes right out of his upcoming next novel. It's very exciting. This is an if of many kinds. Very exciting. So stay tuned for that. And you can stay tuned by subscribing if you go to our website, whattheif.com, and click subscribe. Or if you already know how to do it, just do it. And if you really know what you're doing, or I don't, if you know, if you can leave us a review, that would be really great. We have some trolls leaving absurd reviews. Like, literally, I'm not kidding. Someone left like 32 cheeseburger emojis in a row and gave us two stars and said, my name is Jeff. And then, <laughs> that's it. That's the review. Two that's stars. It. This is lame. Now I reported this. Hopefully, I, Apple will take that down. But uh, man, we could really use real reviews. You know, if you also agree that this is that what, what you just heard was a thirty-two cheeseburger show, hit us up. That's fine. But if you really enjoyed it, we really we could use your support. Very much appreciate about leaving review. Next week, I don't know. Paul McCauley's going to be here, and we're we're all we're going to introduce him to that notion if he hasn't heard it already of doing this thing that we are now going to do, the ritual in which we throw out something. We are now going to explode the universe by imagining all the possibilities that may be if next week. And we scream, What, what the, the if, 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 if.